Welcome to Make and Decorate, a podcast for makers who love to sew, quilt, and decorate. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Make and Decorate podcast with Stephanie Social Design. I am Stephanie, and I welcome you to the podcast. This is season three, episode 69, and originally published on April 29, 2021. Uh, If you wonder why I say it was originally published in date is because um, many people do go back and um, that find the podcast now or, you know, in the future. And uh, when they go back to listen to older episodes, they kind of get a time frame reference. So that's why I put it in there. All right. Well, it's definitely springtime. And uh, I hope everyone is having a chance to get out in the fresh air. And um, if you garden, I hope that you've been enjoying it. Um, I was able to get out uh, the last couple of weekends. And um, yeah, it's just been, um, it's been really nice. Uh, Today I'm recording only what, two days before this um, publishes and we are having an unusually high temperature for this time of year. Usually we're in the mid 60s and it's going to get up to 82 or higher today. So um, yeah, it's crazy. You know, we, we do these 20 and 30 degree swings in temperature because the, you know, the next couple of days is going to get back down into the low 60s. So <laughs> it's, it's crazy. But my only thing is as long as we are away from the freezing temps, because it's not good for the flowers and the vegetables and the plants. Well, I don't know. Well, I did. I just planted a Roma tomato plant. Um, this year, last year, I did little cherry tomatoes. So yeah, that, that just got planted yesterday. So really I need the freezing temps to like be gone. Um, and, uh, my tulips are in full bloom. The daffodils are done. Uh, and my alliums, they're, they're, they're growing taller every day. So, um, I'm really excited for that. Um, well, while I'm talking about gardening, um, I found out that, uh, you can split echinacea plants. And echinacea plants are the purple cone flowers. I love those. That's one flower my husband and I totally agree on that we both love um, because we disagree <laughs> in many other areas. Um, and mostly my husband, he's a little curmudgeonly and picky about certain flowers. And so um, I planted a hydrangea one year and he hated it. He doesn't like hydrangeas. Why? Why would you not like a hydrangea? I don't know, but he doesn't. So that didn't last very long. And he likes um, grassy grasses, decorative grass plants, which I don't mind too. But there's this one, there's several, but there's one that we've been arguing over and it's very invasive. So if you don't really keep on top of it, it just keeps taking over more ground space and more and more. And then I realized there's nothing back here but this this uh, strawberry grass, which is a pretty grass. It's it's like a green uh, leaf that has a little bit of pink inside the center of the leaves. And it's great, but 
uh, I don't need like the entire backyard, you know, in purple, uh, pink, pink strawberry grass. So uh, that's why last fall I staked out my claim for my tulip and daffodil bulbs. And we I ripped out half of that grass. There's still a bunch of it left. So it's not like we don't have any. And um, this is the this is an instance where um, I just uh, did it and uh, ask forgiveness later. <laughs> so, of course, he was in a little bit of shock. But when, you know, it was like kind of like, here, you got to, you know, give a little, take a little. And um, now that he sees the tulips and the daffodils in bloom, he really likes them. So, yay, yay for flowers. I love flowers. So, yes, with the echinacea, they're perennials. And I really am trying to get some more perennials in the ground gardens because um, because I like them and uh, annuals are just getting to be too much work now, the older I get. And so um, the so I've had the echinacea flowers for, I don't know, maybe we've had them for a long time, but then they stopped blooming after a little while. So I planted new ones like two, three seasons ago. And so now I have like these three big, nice, healthy looking plants. Well, I saw a video on YouTube and the guy was splitting his echinacea plants and propagating them throughout the garden bed. And so I know you can do this with hosta plants um, because my mom used to do it all the time. Uh, back in the day, and those are perennials, but it never occurred to me that echinacea plants are the same way. You can also do it with like the tiger lily plants and lilies, but um, maybe you can do it with any perennial. I really don't know. Um, I'm not like a gardening expert, but I learn more and more every every year and every time. So I tried it. I got out there and I only did it to one of the plants and I separated it and I got 13 little plants. And what it does is you dig it up from the root and then you can see all of these smaller plants within this big mound attached to their own roots. And then they just easily break apart into smaller plants. So it was very easy to do. And then I planted those so that hopefully I will have a nice big section of purple cone flowers um, coming up later this season. I don't know how they act when they're like um, transplanted. So I don't know if it's going to take like a season for them to kind of come back in that way. But we'll see. I was worried at first because like the first couple of days, they really looked... <laughs> in bad shape they're a little wilty and stuff and then yesterday I gave them a good another good watering and this morning they looked a little more perked up because I was almost like this isn't working they're not they're dying oh my gosh but um uh, I've got pictures of when I dug up the plant and um, showed the different plants attached to their roots so I'll put that on the podcast blog in case you're interested and you want to try it with one of your own echinacea plants. So uh, like I said, I only did it to one. The other two big mounds are intact and um, they'll probably produce a bunch of flowers uh, like they did last year. So yeah, I've just been doing some gardening here and there. 
Um, it's still been kind of unpredictable with the weather, so I'm not really planting anything that um, that's going to get destroyed by frost. Um, I did get some herbs, but they're not planted on the containers yet. Those will be okay on the containers on, on our deck. Um, but uh, there's not really that much out there yet as far as at the garden nurseries. So um, it's still kind of early in our planting season here. Um, but uh, a lot of people are out there. When I went to the garden nursery, it was really crowded. So people are itching to to start their gardens and enjoy the nice weather. So, um, yeah. Um, and uh, last week I got my second dose. Um, I posted it on Instagram. Sorry, I have my windows open today because uh, it is going to be a really warm day. And... Um, we there's there's no air conditioning set up yet because it's too early in the season. We still have our air conditioners like covered up and my husband won't, you know, get those ready until probably in May. So the second dose, I got it. I'm so glad it's all done and over with. It really feels like a, a weight lifted off my shoulders and an accomplishment that it's done. Um, so uh, and it wasn't too bad. It was really kind of like the first dose for me. It was the same, you know, arm pain, fatigue, a um, little bit of headache, but it was a little bit better than the first time, but almost almost the same. And then by like the second um, day, uh, two days after, I, I was back to normal. So that wasn't so bad. Um, at, right after... Uh, we were already downtown, so we um, brought Cooper with us, and um, we went to the dog beach, and that was my first time at the dog beach in over a year. My, They just recently opened it up, like a month ago, because it has been closed the entire time. Um, so, but my husband's been taking Cooper this past month and, uh, that's his, Cooper is his favorite place in the whole world. He loves the dog beach. So we, we went there. Um, it was a, a very nice afternoon and, um, I threw the toy and he went swimming and it was just really lovely. It was really nice to like be out and actually doing like, you know, some normal things that, um, we haven't been doing before. And then we brought, you know, my finished quilt along um, to photograph. So I finished the baby quilt, the baby bunny quilt. It, I'm so excited at how it turned out. Um, and I, yes, I am a little attached to it because of all the cool things that, you know, uh, went along in making this quilt. Um, it was a process and because it was a smaller baby quilt, it wasn't a forever process. So I was able to add some really cool, you know, hand embellishments with the hand embroidery and um, the um, extra border and all free motion quilted in, you know, a couple different threads of multi variegated thread it was really cute in, in all the, you know, baby colors, pastels. Uh, so we took it to several places and photographed it. It was really fun. It was a very windy day. So <laughs> the one part where we tried to photograph it, it was like, forget it. It kept blowing up <laughs> and not, uh, you couldn't see it, um, completely still, but we got some other places and I, there's one where I'm in front of the, the, um, 
the sailboats that are in the dock, they were actually pulling out a bunch of boats from um, their storage. Uh, they had a huge machine, like, I don't know what it's called, a lift or whatever, where they, they, uh, that's how they pick up the boats uh, from the one parking lot. And then they take it across the street to where the lake is. Um, so that was fun to see too. Uh, so yeah, that was a full day. The, uh, the second dose day, <laughs> uh, we did a lot. All right. I just have to talk a couple of minutes about what happened last week with this, uh, short-lived European Super League drama. So if you have no interest in listening about what has happened, fast forward a couple of minutes and we'll be back to talking about sewing and quilting. But this is just a little tiny sports segment because I've talked about uh, the Premier League before and it's something that my husband and I uh, watch together and both enjoy. So there were some teams in, from the Premier League and from some other European football leagues, which um, in America is known as soccer. But I've gotten used to calling it football now just because we've been watching uh the football games of the Premier League, and uh, that's what that's what they call it all around the rest of the world. So it's football. It's not American NFL football. It's soccer. Uh, okay. So uh, they the these teams they called rebels um, banded together, kind of like secretly, and they blindsided the entire world of soccer slash football um, by creating their own exclusive breakaway from all the other leagues, Super League. It was going to be called the ESL, European Super League. And big Premier League teams in the UK like Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, um, they were part of that. And when the news broke, it was not good. And it would be like here in America, if the, the NFL, if like, um, what are some, some of the past top teams, like the Patriots and, um, the LA Rams and Chicago Bears? They're not a top team anymore, but <laughs> they're a well established team. So let's say like some football teams decided, secretly to break away from the NFL and they created their own um, super, super league of football and then just like blindsided everyone in the NFL. It, it, it would be uh, crazy um, and there would be definitely be some turmoil and unhappy fans. Well, that's what happened here. So um, Chelsea was one of the uh, fans that really got out and protested strongly. A lot of those teams, the fans protested. And um, this really was a move of greed of the highest level. These owners of these teams really, I mean, they didn't do it out of the goodness of their heart or to help, help the sport. It was just absolute greed. And, uh, you know what? They, they got caught. And, uh, after the, um, the fallout, 
and the backlash, the the team started to withdraw from that Super League. Uh, so, and then even like James Corden, he has a, he has a weekday late night show here and he's from the UK. Uh, so he was trying to explain to Americans what this meant to, to football fans of Europe and in the UK. And, you know, it's, it's, it's different than the sports in the United States. So, you know, like he said, you can be a fan of any team you want. You can live in Wisconsin and your favorite team could be the Dallas Cowboys. No problem. But over there, it's like you grow up. You grow up with generations and generations, generations uh, of the teams. And, and these football teams are geographically located everywhere. Um, it's been around um, as long or if not longer than football. And um, it's largely been kind of like a, a, a working um, a blue, blue collar, I guess you could say, um, fan base and teams. Um, this, is, this is just what I gathered from James Corden. So he was so just heartbroken, close to tears, and he really did a great job explaining what was going on. Uh, so after he went on TV and um, kind of went viral with his um, rant, <laughs> they called it, and after all the fans in the UK were just out there protesting, that's when this whole thing crumbled. Um, so that's a good thing. I'm glad that it didn't um, happen uh, because from what everybody says, it would really have destroyed that sport over there. And, and that's like their main, main, main sport. And you know what? This time, greed did not win. Being billionaires cannot buy you everything. And uh, this was a this was a really good um, outcome for what could have been a catastrophe. All right, enough of that. I said I wasn't going to belabor it, and maybe I did just a little tiny bit. All right. Oh, we're doing home deck projects around here, too. So um, the upstairs bathroom. I don't know if I had re had talked about this before, but just after we got our lower level bath main bathroom fixed, uh, we had a disaster in the upstairs bathroom, which is directly above the downstairs bathroom, and it leaked down into the ceiling. So we still have some repairs to do down there. But in the meantime, <laughs> my husband had to do all this work, and it's still not finished, but it's getting there. So last weekend, we were in the painting phase. And um, a year ago, I got this um, paint sprayer. And because I wanted to uh, paint some uh, cabinets in my sewing room, kitchen cabinets downstairs, and dining chairs. Uh, big plans, right? <laughs> and I never got around to doing it yet. Um, so we got to use it for the first time because there's a louvered door in the bathroom. And louvered doors are a huge pain to paint by hand. Um, very odd angles those louvers are. And uh, this louver door does not have adjustable louvers where you can move them around. So that's where a paint sprayer comes in really handy. So um, it was both of our first times using this paint sprayer. And um, so my husband was smart because we, we painted the 
inside of the door first, the part that you really don't see most of the time. Um, and that was good because <laughs> we were we were having uh, adjustment issues with the the force of the spray and um, it was a little too heavy, so it had a few drips. Um, but then my husband ended up touching those up by hand. So then when we flipped it, we we got it much better. And the front of the door looks so much nicer and didn't really need any touch-ups. So, and let me tell you, the time that you save using that paint sprayer and things like the doors, the louver doors, amazing. It, it literally took us like five minutes to apply the paint to the door itself. And um, it was fun. So that was really, really fun. So it gets got, got me a little more motivated to um, use it again. My my hesitation to use it at first was just basically like having to learn how to use the machine. So now that we both kind of went through, you know, how to use it, it's really not that hard. It's just, you know, the process of a learning curve. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to get some more things painted with it. Um, I have been doing some sewing, even though, you know, now is a time of year where like my time gets split up between outdoor gardening stuff, home deck stuff, and the sewing and quilting stuff. So um, a few weeks ago, uh, I needed to make another batch of masks because um, my husband um, he has to wear them. He he when the weather gets warmer, he says he wears you know he goes through two masks a day because it just gets it does it gets really sweaty. And even when I was um, doing some shopping at the home improvement center and the the garden center, like my mask was getting pretty you know uncomfortable and sweaty. So <laughs> I know it's gross, but you you all know. You know what uh, what it's like wearing those masks, fabric masks. So I made a batch of them. And anytime I make a batch for him, I, made, I may make a couple for me. But what I did is because everybody is tired of making masks, I know. And I don't love it either. So when he first told me another batch, I was like, oh, no. But, you know, got to do it. So... Um, what I did was um, I pulled out my small Bernina machine, my little travel light one, and set up a you know set it up on a t small table down in our um, family room, and um, I made the masks uh, while we watched TV in the evening, so um, so that it didn't you know, infringe on other sewing quilting times, I was able to do it in the evenings and got them done fairly quickly. Um, and then it wasn't such a drudgery to, to do to make them. So um, I think anytime that uh, we need to make some more masks, that's how I'm going to do it. I just cut them upstairs with my strip cutter and, you know, there's not that many notions to make them. And then that's it. And I have the process down to a science now. It's so different from last year when we were all first starting to make these masks and supplies were just not um, available. And um, now uh, fa manufacturers have made convenient uh, type of supplies um, with the comfortable ear loops with the adjusters so you can adjust it. So now I don't have to measure elastic to a specific person's, you know, 
comfort ear comfort or whatever. So I could make masks for my little nephew and nieces and they can just pull that adjustable slider down to wherever they need it. Um, so I love that. No more measuring. You just stitch the, the, um, ear loops in and, uh, the aluminum nose guards. So, um, just those two things with the fabric and I just sew a little, um, you know, little top stitching around that nose guard and it's quick it's really quick and effective so um i i can't imagine wearing a pleated face mask without a nose guard because it really just makes it snug around your nose and i wear glasses so then your glasses don't get fogged up all right i don't know why i keep saying nose guard it is a nose bar an aluminum nose bar uh so batch of masks um and uh, knitting. So I wanted to make newborn baby booties for uh, my sister who is due with a baby boy in June. And um, I've never knitted baby booties. And again, here we go with the issue of knitting in the round, which I'm not <laughs> quite comfortable with yet. But there is a um, there was a free pattern online um, and it's knitting baby booties flat. So you don't have to do any magic loop or double pointed needles. You just knit it flat and then you bring it together and you sew it at, at the seam. And, um, you know, it doesn't have a fitted ankle or anything like that, but I mean, it's a newborn baby booty. The newborn baby will wear it like how many times? <laughs> and then the baby's not going to walk. So there's no need to have a fitted ankle or toes or anything like that, right? Yeah. So um, the only thing is with this that there is, there are alternating pearl and knit stitches. So um, I, I haven't figured out how to switch back and forth from those stitches um, with the yarn. So... I, it, it's very, I've been using the yarn um, in my left hand when I do the knit stitch and it's very easy and I've gotten really quick at it. Um, but to do the purl stitch, I, it makes me have to like awkwardly wrap it around the other way. And when I switch the yarn to my right hand, it's a much easier to loop the, round, the, the yarn around it. So then I've also seen people knit with the the working yarn in their right hand only and they're able to quickly switch from purl and knit with their right hand and other people are very um you know easily able to do it with their left left hand so another thing i've got to try to work out however i'm on a knitting break right now because i knit so many like dishcloths and um this last dishcloth i was like determined to get it all done in one one afternoon and I got about three quarters of it done. And uh, I was not, I, apparently I wasn't ergonomic enough with it. And I ended up like really hurting my arm and my wrist with like the whole tendonitis getting aggravated. Uh, so I gave myself a break overnight. <laughs> and I tried to finish it the next day. And after like three stitches, it hurt again. So that kind of scared me into like, okay. Take a huge break from this, heal your arm, and don't do anything stupid like that again with like, you know, massive hours and hours of knitting at one time. 
Um, and, and in the meantime, I probably will need to learn more about what's the best ergonomic way to knit. Cause I know people that will, can knit for hours and hours. And, um, just like quilters that are super productive, I've seen YouTube knitters that just like produce these sweaters and scarves and, and this and that socks, like completely just amazing in amazing time frames. So I know it can be done, but I've just got to take it slow. Um, so I'm back to the crocheting <laughs> of the hexes because I put that aside as I was knitting uh, the dishcloth. Um, so what else have I been doing? Um, oh, so I did sew a small project and it was a lot of fun. And it is from the So Sweetness has a new uh, Minikins bundle of patterns. It's the Minikins 3. And I made the Brumby zipper pouch. And it's a really cute zipper pouch that kind of has like this faux uh, box um, shape to it. But it's not completely, there's not a, a box gusset around around the pouch. It's only boxed um, uh, at the zipper part. And then you you press the the depth that the 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 stitches that you make by the zipper to box it out a little bit. Um, and it looks like a box pouch at the end. So it's very cleverly written by Sarah Lawson. I learned a very new technique. I would never have been able to figure this technique out on my own, uh, where you stitch the lining by itself by the zipper and you stitch the um, exterior fabric by the zipper that makes that little bit of a um, depth for, for, um, sort of boxing the pouch up so um yeah it was fun and it was a very fast make I rarely am able to cut out all of the pieces the stabilizer the foam the fabric the lining um all of the pieces and sew it and complete it in the same day and I was able to do that with this one I was so happy. I was so like, yay, I did it. I, I actually made this all in one day, one afternoon and not like feeling like I overdid it or was, you know, super tired at the end. It was really fun and um, energizing. Um, it's always fun when you complete a project and you have something you've made from literally raw materials that was just like, you know, pieces of fabric and foam. So um, a lot of fun. And that pouch um, was actually a, um, a Patreon gift for one of my um, upper tiers patrons. Uh, so I am able to talk about it now because I sent it out and um, it was delivered. So I will put pictures of it on the podcast page and I'll probably post it on Instagram too um, as well. Uh, and then I'm back to the commission Irish chain quilt. So that's what I'll be working on going forward for a bit. Um, except I've got one other project that has come up and it's a new silhouette cameo project. Uh, so I've got to make 15, um, heat transfer vinyl t-shirts, um, by the 14th of May. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's for my family. Um, it's a big birthday for my mom this year, and uh, she's turning the big seven zero. Um, and uh, yeah, my mom, my mom and I are exactly twenty years apart, so she had me very young. And so it's interesting because it's a big birthday year for both of us. I turned the big 5-0 in March and she's turning the big 7-0 in May. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. Uh, but back to this project. So um, my dad sprung this on me when um, we had my 5-0 family um, party and uh, he saw the shirts that I made for my brother who had just gotten back from... Um, being deployed. And I made my brother a couple of heat transfer vinyl shirts. So he's like, oh, uh, could you make the, the t-shirts for the grandkids for, you know, mom's uh, birthday party? And so I was like, oh, sure. Uh, and he wanted my niece Ava to help me with it. And she was excited about that too. Well, it turned into eight shirts into 15 shirts because my sisters saw I, I made a design and they loved it and then my one sister was like I want one too and then my other sister's like I want one too so then everybody wants one <laughs> so um I'm making a different theme shirt for my siblings and me so that the shirt doesn't say grandma it says mom and it has all of our um, names um, in the butterfly wing, um, on our shirts. And then, uh, my mom will wear the grandmother shirt and all the little butterflies around this central sunflower design will have all of the grandkids names in the butterflies. So yeah, it started off with a very complex design. I sketched it in Procreate. It's a beautiful sunflower. But then when I started to think about how this was going to cut out on the silhouette cameo machine, I realized this is way too intricate and will take forever to 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 complete and you know it just wasn't efficient or um it had a high <laughs> it had a high risk rate of of failing with the weeding that would have to be done and so forth so i went back to the drawing board and simplified it a ton it's still a very cute sunflower but I, it definitely has clear cut lines and um, bigger shapes uh, so I've got to get going on those. And my niece, Ava, actually is coming into town this week. So she will come over and uh, help me with those, which is very great. Um, so, yeah, I've got that uh, Silhouette Cameo project um, going on. Uh, and that, I think, is it's about it. I've still, um, I've got some other projects on deck that I want to make, like that one Hollyoke skirt uh, pattern, but I, that's probably not going to happen until later in May, because uh, it's for, it's a summery, it's out of the Tana Lawn fabric, so um, it'll need to be a lot warmer for me to wear it anyway. That's what's been going on as far as the sewing and quilting is concerned. So 
for the main topic of today's episode, I thought I would go back to um, decorating because I haven't done a decorating in a little bit. And we've been working on um, a lot of uh, upholstery projects lately. Um, you know, business has, has definitely picked up because it really slowed down at the end of um, the year last year. And um, so we've gotten a lot of um, like... Uh, one room projects uh, going on and a lot of them involve buying new upholstery and reupholstering existing um, pieces that um, clients have uh, existing in their room. So um, there's been a couple of, of uh, instances that I think is a really good learning example <laughs> to share with you guys. Um, so one of these is, well, actually, you may not even encounter this, but you might, you might. So um, when fabrics are made, home deck fabrics, they, just because it says home deck, it doesn't mean it's um, appropriate to use on upholstery or appropriate to use for draperies. So that's like the main dividing line of home deck fabrics. So some of them are listed multi-purpose, and that means that you can use them for upholstery and drapery and pillows. Um, fabrics that are made specifically for upholstery can be used for upholstery and uh, pillows, but not draperies because it will be too thick and too heavy. The other thing is the way that if there is a pattern to that fabric, then there's a difference in how it is woven or printed on the roll of fabric and how it comes off of that roll, which is called the bolt. So, um, so yeah, here, I'm starting with the fabric so um, so that I can paint you a, a picture of, of um, what the choices are. So the fabrics that are made for drapery, they come off the bolt with the pattern um, sideways. So the selvage to selvage, the pattern looks sideways because draperies are made long. And so you need a long piece to come off the bolt because you don't want a seam like, you know, 50 inches down in your draperies. Um, so that's why you can do a continuous drapery panel from one cut of fabric. Um for upholstery, sofas are long. So you also want the fabric to come off of the bolt and be able to pull a long piece. Uh, but you want the pattern printed the other way. You want the top and the bottom of the pattern to be printed from selvage to selvage, top and bottom. So it comes off the bolt that way, um, up and down, not side to side. It's confusing, I know, but I'm hope I hope this makes sense to you. 
Um, so that's a distinct difference um, in upholstery versus drapery uh, made fabrics. Um, the other thing is um, that um, if you love a fabric and it's made for drapery and you're like, oh, I don't mind seams going across the sofa because they'll be pattern matched. Well, the fabric may be way too thin and then it will have a tendency to um, stretch and wrinkle, um, especially if it's cotton or linen. And it will not wear because it's so thin um, that um, that it just it, it's just not meant for upholstery use. So sometimes um, people will choose an, a drapery fabric because they love the color and the pattern so much, and they'll use it on a chair. So so a chair you you may not have to worry about a seam going across the chair because it's much narrower than the sofa. Um, so the fabric that comes off the bolt can be turned, um, you know, right side up and that width of 54 inches will be enough to cover, um, the width of a chair without having to be seamed. But to use it for upholstery, you would need to have it knit backed. And just think of knit backing as a stabilizer, like a stabilizer that you use on knit fabrics when you create clothing. Or um, I know people that make t-shirt quilts. Those are t-shirts are a knit fabric. And so there is a knit stabilizer um, that is flexible and it's you know, a little stretchy and it will stabilize t-shirt fabric. So that's all that knit backing is. It's a stabilizer that is applied to the back of a fabric and it gives it strength and stability and also um, will not, um, the fabric will not stretch as easily at all. So that's one thing that you could do um, with a thin fabric, a drapery fabric. And also, let's say you guys want to use a quilt weight fabric. Same issue. But quilting fabrics are even narrower. So they're at 40, 42, 43 inches wide. So, but they could definitely be used on dining chairs. Um, and, um, you know, other, if the, if the pattern is not directional, then you could then easily use that on a sofa. But again, you would have to stabilize it for strength. Um, and there are some companies that do that. They, You would send your fabric to them and they would apply the knit back stabilizer and send it to you or to your upholsterer. Um, and then it will be ready to, to use as upholstery. Uh, so that's, um, kind of like the nuts and bolts of fabrics and the use on upholstery. Um, so it's the, it's the type of fabric, lightweight versus heavyweight versus knit backed and stabilized, um, and the direction off the bolt. Um, so another thing with fabrics, and we recently encountered this with a client who has, who has a cat and she picked a fabric and it is an upholstery fabric. 
Um, but it had a looser weave, uh, and, um, cats could probably easily shred this fabric <laughs> if they wanted to. Cats could shred any fabric, really, even if it's like heavy duty. But this particular fabric is really soft, chenille and um, uh, just a, a bit of a looser weave. So um, she, we, we had, we just had to let her know that this is a possibility. Uh, she loved the fabric so much. So she decided to go ahead with the fabric. Um, and so I'll um, be placing an order for those chairs with that fabric. But it just, um, she knows about it. And um, her particular cat is a little cat. Uh, so she she decided it will be okay with her cat. But it's something for you to think about if you have cats. And uh, cats are different, so some of them love to scratch at chairs and sofas um, like a scratching post. So um, you just have to gauge that personally um, on what type of fabric you would want to upholster your upholstery pieces with. All right, so um, the other encounter that we recently um, had was, uh, which brought this to my mind, is that this client kept, <laughs> she kept picking drapery fabrics. And, um, and uh, we kept trying to tell, what well, we did tell her many times, this is meant for draperies. And um, it's a Pierre Frey fabric. So Pierre Frey fabrics are um, fabricated and made in France. And they are uber expensive. They're like well over $300 a yard. And some of these fabrics they make at only 31 and a half inches wide. It's so narrow. We encountered a 31 and a half inch wide fabric, which was the client's favorite. And then she picked a 39 inch wide fabric, a little better, but still too narrow. And, um, and then uh, a, um, she decided to actually choose an upholstery fabric then after those two, because it's just, the, it, it, it was to go onto a 90 inch wide sofa and she did not want seams. So that's virtually impossible to do where the, the fabric is directional. It's coming off the bolt sideways and then you would have to turn it upright and then it's only 31 inches wide on a 90 inch sofa and you don't want to seam at all. It's, it just can't happen. So uh, we definitely had to reselect. Um, and uh, thankfully she found a fabric that, um, that she really liked and um, uh, she's going to use a 54 inch wide printed fabric for the for the chair instead. So that's all that's that's a good alternative choice to do. All right. And then some other um, appropriate upholstery fabrics that you can use um, are um, besides regular fabrics, upholstery fabrics and the fabrics that are made for home deck use and upholstery use are usually coated or the fibers are 
um, you know, woven with some sort of a nanotechnology stain guard protection, which is really good. That's why um, when you you get sofas, they they are are not even though if there's a zipper on the cushion, they recommend dry cleaning only because um, if you wash it in a washing machine, it will remove all of that stain guard protection, uh, and then you would just have to apply more stain guard to it. There are companies that will do that, like a seal master will come out and re uh, guard people's upholstery furniture after it's been cleaned. Um, so another popular fabric is now faux leather, which is essentially uh, a polyurethane vinyl type of uh, fabric. Um and there are many different qualities and grades of this fabric. So the super cheap um, qualities still feel like um, plastic vinyl <laughs> and um, are not the best in quality. But um, the ones that we use that are made in Japan are very good quality. They're so soft and they feel, sometimes you can't tell the difference between that and a real leather. It's just uncanny. It's weird. Uh, but those are very pricey. Um, but they still end up being less than if you would have uh choose like three to five hides of real leather to cover uh, a big sofa so um, it's a nice alternative and faux leather will not fade in the sun like re regular leather would um, or it's at least it's more uh fade resistant everything will fade in the sun really over time uh, much more sun fade resistant and very durable, durable with animals like dogs and cats and, and kids. You just wipe it up. You can um, clean it uh, so easily and uh, looks great. So faux leather remains a very popular option with us for um, upholstery, dining chair seats. Um, a lot of people will do the seats in the faux leather and then they'll choose a fabric for the seat back. And if the chair is upholstered on the outside back, we'll put fabric there. Um, but sofas and lounge chairs um, we do in faux leather, um, ottomans. Um, it's it, there's so many options out there now too so that's a really popular choice okay and then um, I just want to talk about the insides of upholstery pieces so there's many ways that an upholstered piece is made um, a very old school tried and true quality way of making upholstery is called the eight-way hand tied um, you'll hear that a lot, especially, you know, in whatever furniture store you go into and they're going to try to sell you the whatever technology it is. And um, eight way hand tied, if they say that it's it's still a good process. Um, it's a good um, fabrication method of upholstery. Uh, I'm not going to get into like the little details of what it is. It's just um, it's just a way of um, um, creating the inside uh, structure of an upholstery piece. 
Um, there are other, you know, spring and sinuous wire type of uh, methods for different types of upholstery pieces. But what I want to talk about is the actual cushions, because this gets a little confusing for people. And sometimes, um, and maybe this has happened to you, if you made a purchase and you get your sofa or chair and you're sitting at it and either, either it's too firm and not comfortable or it's way too soft and you find that you have to constantly fluff it and may, and to maintain it, to, you know, get its shape back everything looks slouchy and you know some people just don't like that so you have to understand and know what it is you're looking for um, in order to get the result that you have in your mind so um, the super slouchy and the types of cushions and seat back cushions that you would have to keep fluffing in order for it to look nice again those are the all down cushions and they're very very soft they have very little um structure so um if you needed like a more of um stabilization for your back uh that would not be the type of cushion to get if you wanted though uh a big fluffy sofa for um, a lounging and reading and watching movies and just like kind of sink into it. It's great for that. It's perfect. It's so soft and it envelops you. But uh, once you sit in it <laughs> and you're, you're just like, you know, it's, it's molding to your body, you get up, it's going to kind of, it's not going to bounce back to its original shape. So you're going to have to like, you know, fluff it, fluff it, fluff it, pound on it, and to get it back to um, looking like, you know, a structured sofa. So some people really detest that and they do not like it. So they, you have to understand what um, a down um, seat cushion and a down back cushion is. And back cushions are made uh, with different fillers than seat cushions. Seat cushions have to have some foam, um, some of them can be all down, though, and that's another thing where it's like super soft and you sink down into it. Um, the cushion that we sell um, all the time, like it's just it, it, it's just like a standard for us and it is considered an upgrade, but um, it's called a spring down. So it means that in the seat cushions, there are some springs in the center of it but then it's wrapped with foam and dacron and then the outermost layer is wrapped in a down feather so it provides structure it will bounce back after you sit on it it's very comfortable for most people most people love the seat cushion um, and it's the best of both worlds it is worth the upgrade. The upgrade might be um, another 100 150 no more than $200. But think about how long you have your upholstery pieces and how you use them every day. It is well worth the upgrade for your comfort level 
and for the wear and tear on that um, upholstery piece. So spring down, remember that. Um, but if you don't like um, down at all for whatever reason, um, then you would get the standard foam cushion. Doesn't have any strings, springs for structure. It's just foam, and it it will be wrapped in dacron. Dacron is a type of um, you can consider it similar to like a polyester batting, but it's a little bit different, a little more dense. Um, and it's wrapped in that. And that gives the foam um, a little bit of softness. And um, it will also help to create that um, what we call a crown. So when you see sofas and the seat cushions just go flat across, there's no crown to that seat cushion. And there may be no dacron or uh, uh, spring down, uh, down wrap. It's just straight foam. Not that comfortable and not that well made either. Um, that's another um, test of quality. So the Dacron will make like this little, little, um, I don't know, like a hump or where it comes up to like a crown in the center and kind of goes back down. Um, so that is a foam wrapped with Dacron and the foam itself can have um, a very firm density or a medium density or a soft density. Um, so these are all things to think about and to ask questions um, on your next upholstery search and um, process of buying new upholstery. Um, so the other one is just the all down. It's just like what I said, it's all down. Uh, sometimes you can do like a foam seat cushion and then your back cushions could be all down. There's those combinations. Um, but standard back cushions are just made with um, like a, um, you know, the poly stuffing fill, that sort of thing. So, um, which is pretty standard. So um, I think that's it. I think that that is just the main issues um, with upholstery and decision making that we tend to see a lot uh, from people and things that are important to them. So comfort, uh, maintenance, structure, and appropriate fabrics. Well, there is one more thing I just thought about, and that is the depth of the upholstery pieces, sitting depth. That's another tough thing to figure out. Um, but it's good to research ahead of time so that you don't make a mistake and you just are unhappy with this big investment that you just made. So typical standard upholstery depth that is comfortable for most people is 36 inches deep. 36 inches deep is not going to be one of those like I'm going to sink into the sofa and curl up my legs and stuff. It's just going to be like a nice, comfortable sofa depth. You can still sort of curl up in it and it's fine. But some people want that extra deep sofa and that would be a 40 inch deep. So if you love, you know, plopping down into a sofa and want to be able to you know, really like have it super comfortable um, 
and you sit into it, then you would want a 40 inch deep sofa. If you want to sit in a sofa and you want your feet, like you want to sit in there, you don't want to like curl up your legs or recline in it, uh, then a 36 inch deep sofa would be for you if you really just want to sit there with your legs and your feet on the ground, uh, which some people will need for sitting rooms or formal living rooms or um, if you have back problems. People with back problems need a narrower depth sofa. Um, so 36 inches is standard. 38 is just in between. I kind of like a 38 inch deep sofa. It's not too deep and it's not too narrow. Um, once it gets to being like 40 to 42 inches deep, that is huge. I mean, like it's almost, you know, 55 inches is the width of a twin bed. So there you go. <laughs> 42 inches, 55 inches. It's getting, it's getting pretty deep there. Um, but if it's for like an actual family room or a movie room and you're just going to be lounging and you know, curling up into it then, and you have the space. That's the other thing. You need to have a huge space to accommodate a 40 to 42 inch deep sofa. And you also have to be able to get it into the door when it's delivered. So think about all those things because standard interior doors are 30 to 32 inches wide. So Typically, a 36-inch, 38-inch deep sofa can fit through those doorways. If you have stairs uh, and a slanted sloped ceiling going up those stairs, sometimes those deeper sofas won't fit that angle. Um, or if there's a very sharp angle into the room. So exterior doors on most residences are around 36 inches deep but your inside interior doors are, are narrower uh, and one last thing too is when I say seating depth I mean like the inside seating depth of the seat cushion the overall depth is going to be much wider because it includes the size of the frame um, so it's and then it just gets into all these other like technicalities of like how deep is the back cushion how much of the seating space does the back cushion take up um is it an attached back uh all of that kind of stuff but just to simplify it down um you know just think about like a 36 inch sofa if if you want your your you know proper um angle of your knees bending over the cushion and your feet on the floor or you can go deeper if you want to curl up on the sofa and your feet touching the ground doesn't really matter <laughs> cuz the deeper it is the you know the, the less chances that your feet are going to hit the ground when you're sitting all the way back into the sofa so I hope all of this made perfect sense to you, right? Clear as mud. <laughs> uh, and that it has been helpful. Uh, so let me know. You can always direct message me on Instagram, email. Um, I changed the email, actually, of Make and Decorate to um, friends at makeanddecorate.com. I'll put that in the podcast page. So instead of info, I thought that was just a little bit too kind of like uh, 
commercially institutional business like. Uh, so it's not like I have like a call center here or a service center. So <laughs> I wanted to change it to something more friendly. So it's friends at makeanddecorate.com. Um, and my business email, Stephanie Sota, design at gmail.com, but that's much longer than friends, right? Uh, so yeah, definitely you can send me your feedback and, uh, don't forget to check out my Patreon page if you want to get an extra bonus episode every month, um, and rate and review the, um, podcast on iTunes if you get a moment and, uh, do that. It definitely helps with the visibility of other people noticing and seeing this podcast if they've never um, heard it before. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you enjoy a wonderful spring weekend ahead. And I will talk to you next time. And my guest at the next episode is Jenny Grover. And she is an entrepreneur and was just the past president of the Chicago Modern Quilt Guild. A very amazing woman, and I can't wait for you to hear that episode. All right, until next time, bye-bye. If you would like a bonus episode every month, become a patron and support the Make and Decorate podcast show at my Patreon page, Make and Decorate. Make and Decorate.